Hey guys, welcome to another episode. I hope that you're all benefiting from these podcasts and please feel free to subscribe or share the podcast as well as give me any feedback at my information which are in the show description. What additional area should we pay special attention to when we're looking at a bone scan? So blind spots for a bone scan or tricky ways of asking us to evaluate a bone scan is by having particularly a breast mass or breast cancer and we just get carried away with looking at the bones we don't evaluate for uh, soft tissue particularly breast cancer or soft tissue infection additionally we don't evaluate the renal system so we need to look for uh, missing transplant uh, or missing kidney or renal transplant or a stone that is causing obstruction or RCC or ascites, these are all things that we should be able to pick up on a bone scan. And finally, um, people tend to uh, skip looking at the skull for lesions. So again, common blind spots for bone scan, soft tissue for breast or soft tissue infection, renal transplant, renal stones, ascites or renal cancer, and the skull finally. Just take a look at the skull when you're reading a bone scan. What? structures pass through the spinoglenoid notch. The suprascapular nerve pass through the spinoglenoid notch. Where is the spinoglenoid notch located? So we have the scapular spine that divides the scapula or divides the muscle of the scapula. We have the supraspinatus or, and the infraspinatus muscle. Obviously, the infraspinatus pass under the spine of the scapula. Now the spinoglenoid, it's between the spine and the glenoid and the nerve moves through it. The pathology related to mass effect from slap tear that causes a cyst or mass effect on the spinoglenoid notch which compresses the suprascapular nerve would cause infraspinatus denervation and, and atrophy. Obviously, the uh, suprascapular nerve had already supplied, or that nerves had already supplied the supraspinatus muscle, and it passes through the spinoglenoid notch to supply the infraspinatus muscle, and compression on that would result in infraspinatus muscle atrophy. Talking about MRI, what does T1 shortening mean? T1 shortening mean it's T1 intense or bright signal on T1. T2 shortening means T2 dark signal. I already talked about it previously, so I'm not going to go into details, but T1 shortening is bright signal on T1. T2 shortening is a dark signal on T2. What's a primary mega ureter is a functional obstruction at the level of the juxtavesical segment due to absent peristalsis of the ureter. So absent peristalsis of the ureter causes dilated ureter and we see functional obstruction at the level of the juxtavesical uh, segment of the ureter. Again, primary mega ureter is lack of per peristalsis and the ureter would be dilated. We see the functional obstruction at the level of the juxtavesical junction because urine is not able to be pushed through the juxtavesical junction into the bladder. What is the average natural background radiation level in the United States? So the average background radiation is three millisievert per year. Again, three millisievert per year is the average annual natural background radiation. This can get very confusing. Uh, just a quick summary that each sievert is 100 rem. So each millisievert is a 
100 millirem. So the natural or average natural background radiation in rem or millirem would be 300 millirem per year. Non-ossifying fibroma. This is a cortical-based usual lesion typically surrounded by a thin, well-defined, lobulated sclerotic margin. So uh, zone of transition is very narrow, and it's a benign process. Typically occurs at the metadiaphysis. So again, non-ossifying fibroma, cortical-based lesion surrounded by thin margin with sclerotic rim, and typically occurs at the metadiaphysis which cardiac malignancy is seen in patients with tuberous sclerosis. So we see rhabdomyoma, and typically this is associated with tuberous sclerosis, and it is around well-demarcated intraluminal mass. Uh, and on MRI, it has slightly hyperintense signal uh, on T2 imaging to the myocardium, which is characteristic for rhabdomyomas. Again, rhabdomyoma, is a more intense and well-demarcated mass seen in association with tuberous sclerosis. What is Lemire syndrome? This is a triad of tonsillar enhancement, epsilateral thrombosis of the jugular vein or external jugular vein and pleural effusion. Typically, this is seen in oropharyngeal infections such as pharyngitis or tonsillitis with thrombophlebitis of the jugular vein with distant septic metastasis into the lung, which causes the pleural effusion. Again, uh, Lemire syndrome is triad of tonsillar enhancement from the infection or inflammation, epsilateral thrombosis of the jugular vein, and pleural effusion from pulmonary metastasis. Obviously, we'd also expect to see lymphadenopathy because it's an extensive disease. What is the origin of the uterine artery? It arises from the anterior division of the internal iliac artery. What is the origin of the ovarian artery, typically arising from the aorta? So ovarian artery arises from the aorta, and uterine artery arises from the internal iliac artery, particularly the anterior division. What is bronchopulmonary dysplasia? or chronic lung disease of prematurity. This is basically the continuation of respiratory distress syndrome, and it is defined as abnormal chest radiograph and persistent need for oxygenation beyond 28 days of life. Typically diagnosed earlier than that, but the guidelines is 28 days of life is when you start calling it bronchopulmonary dysplasia or chronic lung disease of prematurity. What's different between bronchopulmonary dysplasia and RDS, even though they're a spectrum. In respiratory distress syndrome, this is an acute finding after birth, and we have low lung volumes. In bronchopulmonary dysplasia, we have chronic hyperinflation and coarse opacities. Kind of think of it like a COPD for kids where we have increased lung volume. So in bronchopulmonary dysplasia or chronic lung disease of prematurity, we have hyperinflation of the lung. Now, Bronchopulmonary dysplasia is the most common cause of chronic respiratory failure in pediatric patients. I don't think this means anything. The key things that you want to know that it is a spectrum or continuation of respiratory distress syndrome that requires oxygen and abnormal chest radiograph after 28 days of life. Unlike RDS, there is hyperinflation or increased lung volume with coarse pulmonary opacities.
continuing with the same theme, what is RDS? We talked about it. So RDS is respiratory distress syndrome or highland membrane disease. Typically, this is caused by insufficient surfactant production due to immature type 2 pneumocytes, which result in decreased lung compliance. Seen in premature infants, particularly born after 30, before 34 weeks, or term infants with diabetic mothers. Key finding is decreased lung volume and complications of respiratory distress syndrome or highland membrane disease is pulmonary and interstitial emphysema or PIE and bronchopulmonary dysplasia or chronic lung disease of prematurity. And as we just stated previously, uh, bronchopulmonary dysplasia is associated with hyperinflation and respiratory distress syndrome is associated with decreased or low lung volumes. A benign condition where you have multiple submucosal calcified cartilaginous nodules in the tracheal wall that spares the posterior membranous trachea. So multiple calcified nodules involving the trachea, sparing the non-cartilaginous portion of the trachea. The diagnosis here is tracheobronchopathia osteochondroplastica, TPO. The name really says exactly uh, the pathology. So trachea, we have ossification in the cartilage portion of the trachea. Another disease that spares the posterior membrane trachea is relapsing polychondritis, and the name polychondritis is inflammation of the cartilage. Posterior membrane of the trachea does not have any cartilage, and so it's spared. Other tracheal pathology typically are circumferential, and we'll talk about them later. What is HIV encephalopathy? This is a progressive neurodegenerative disease caused by direct infection of the CNS lymphocyte by the HIV virus. And this is the most common CNS infection in AIDS patients. The location of the infection is the perventricular and deep white matter. This is the location where we see lymphomas in the perventricular and deep white matter. So it invades the lymphocyte in those region, and that's where we see signal abnormality on imaging. Particularly T2, we see cerebral atrophy and symmetric T2 prolongation. We said previously T2 prolongation means increased T2 signal, so flare and T2 bright signal in the perventricular lesion. It's important to note this is symmetrical. This is perventricular location. And this spares the subcortical white matter. Why is this important? Because the key differential they'll try to get at in a test is differentiating between HIV encephalopathy and PML or progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy. For progressive multifocal, again, it's multifocal, so it's not symmetrical, and it involves the subcortical white matter. This is also PML is also seen in HIV patients, AIDS patients, and immunosuppressed patients, so transplant and so on and so forth. And PML is due to reactivation of the JC virus, but HIV encephalitis is symmetrical, involves lymphocyte infection by HIV virus, and it is periventricular in location and spares the subcortical white matter. If you think where we see lymphoma, we see lymphoma in the perventricular location. And if you think of it this way, that it infects lymphoma, so it manifests in the perventricular location, it is symmetrical and it spares the subcortical U fibers. 
we will end a little bit early today and hopefully you can listen to it again and go over the facts.